Good morning, Zion Church. It's interesting to be on this side of things. Y'all look much better from up here than when I'm sitting in the audience. But, uh, but yeah, just uh, going off of what Justin said, taco night on Thursday. I've done a lot of taco nights. It might have been one of the best we ever had. Um, but more of you should have come. A lot came, but more of you should have because me and Caitlin have been eating tacos for three days now. And uh, I'm not complaining that much, but uh, day three, they start to taste a little bit the same. But um, yeah, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to, we're going to be in Luke 1, verse 39, Luke 1, verse 39. I'm going to go ahead and apologize as well for the 90 degree weather. Uh, I think the Lord knew the guy from Texas was coming up. Uh, so he said, let's send some Texas weather just to make sure they're, they're ready. Uh, my dad texted me yesterday and he was like, I, I see it's going to get as, as hot as a Texas morning up in New York. And I was like... Thanks, Dad. A little bit of sympathy, but just a little bit. Um, but great. I'm excited. I'm excited to jump into the book of Luke with you guys. We've, we've been going through the book of Luke as a church, and we're looking at this really meticulously detailed account in the gospel of Luke, where, where Luke is painting this story, that this is God's story that we're watching unfold, not our own. And, uh, and last week, uh, Johnny walked us through this, this miraculous revealing from the angel to that Mary, a uh, virgin, was going to give birth to Jesus the Messiah. We, we saw she had this, this beautiful, humble response. She said this. This is where we left off last week. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other, in other words, Mary's response after she finds out that she's going to give, give birth to this miraculous Savior, she just says, yes, Lord. My, my answer is yes to what, what you're calling me to. And as Johnny outlined, what, we were, what we're seeing here is likely Mary saying no to all the all the preferences and all the plans that she had for her own life. But instead, she was simply saying yes to God's story and the role that he gave her to play, not in her own story, but in his bigger story. And so this morning, the question that we're looking at is, is what's next? What's next after Mary says yes to God and, and to God's plan? And similarly, I want us to ask ourselves that. What's What's next for us? Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a while. Maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and you're a skeptic, but you feel like maybe the Lord's drawing you and you're, and you're thinking about stepping out on faith and, and trusting the Lord, putting your faith in the Savior. Maybe, maybe you've just started to walk with, with Jesus. And you're not really sure what to expect. Um, but we have that question for our, for our own lives this morning as well. As we, as we start to deny ourselves and as we start to say, say no to our plans and our preferences for our life, and we start to say, God, I want to align myself with, with your plans and, and with your story, what's, what's next for us? And I believe, I believe God has a plan. I believe God has an answer to that question uh, for us in the, in the story of Mary, and that's what, what we're going to dive into this morning. If, if you will, the scripture that we're looking at this morning, it's kind of like a, a part two of a part, like one-two punch. Uh, part one was what we looked at I, at last week with Johnny Wright, this revealing of a miraculous birth. And part two is, is what happens afterwards. And it's very important that we understand that context because what we're going to see is, is God didn't just call Mary into his story and then said, like, good luck. The tryout has started. Like, bring your A game. That's not, that wasn't God's approach with Mary. Instead, we're going to see that there is this intentional faith journey that God has Mary on. Um, reality check, Mary was like a normal human being, just like just like me and just like you. So when God, when God called her into his story, there were some real thoughts and questions that Mary had. She didn't drop out of this thing glowing with a halo. Like she was a human and she has this journey of faith that she's on that, that God is going to walk her through. And we're going to see that he doesn't just leave her out to dry, but he cares for her deeply. And so we're going to talk about that today. Let's, let's look at the scriptures before we go any further. And we're going to be in Luke, like I said, Luke uh, 1.39. 
So picking up in verse 39, it says this. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth was one of her relatives. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Church, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much that we get to gather together, Lord, as your church. We thank you that you are here with us. God, we do ask that you would illuminate your scriptures. Father, we ask, uh, Lord, that the, the ears would be open to hear the word that you have for us this morning. God, I pray that everybody here would hear your word and not mine, Father, that they would know your plan for their lives and not their own, Lord. And, and so we thank you. We ask for your mercy this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a question. When was the last time you guys had to run from something? I don't mean like emotionally. I don't mean like metaphorically. Like I know I ran from, from tax, the tax deadline. Like I was trying to get as far away from that thing as possible. Um, I know my brother used to do like grocery store runs because he was trying to run away from my mother. You know, he wasn't really trying to be helpful. He's just like, get me out of this house. But like, when's the last time you had to like change gear in the legs and like giddy up and, and get away from something? Um, I might be the only time somebody says giddy up from up here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. For me, it was, it was about a month and a half ago. Uh, Caitlin and I ran a, ran a ministry on 4th Avenue called Karama Kids. And uh, we, had finished, uh, we had finished at the center for a day. Caitlin had already gone home. I was locking up. And so I pulled down the gate. I locked up. And I've got a bag in one hand with, with an iPad. And I got my, my laptop and my backpack. And uh, the, the program happens on like... 70th Street in Bay Ridge, and uh, we live on 80th Street. So we got like, I got like 10, 10 streets to go, and I'm walking up Fifth Avenue, and all of a sudden I just hear this, this rumble behind me. And I look, I look behind me, and it looks like there's just like this apocalyptic dark cloud just flying down Fifth Avenue. And I'm like, okay, I got about eight more streets to go. So, you know, I'm like kind of picking up the pace a little bit. And all of a sudden it starts to, starts to drizzle, and I do that, that strategy that I've learned since I moved to New York, which is like if you're on an avenue, you, you hug those, those awnings of the shops and you kind of play like this frogger game uh, trying to get away from the rain. And the rain starts to come down even more. And so I, just, I start running, I'm booking it. I get to 78th Street and just all hell breaks loose from the sky. Lightning, thunder, it's all like a cow fly. And, and, and I didn't make it. Um, luckily, I was outside a 99 cent store. I went in, bought some trash bags, made myself like some suit. And I made it home, the laptop, the iPad survived. But, uh, but I, I started us off this morning with that, because that's exactly where we find Mary at the beginning of verse 39. If you look at the scriptures, it says that in those days, so that means right after the angel has revealed all this to us, it says, in those days, she moved with haste. There's only two reasons that people move with haste. Moving with haste just means moving very, very quickly. It means you're either exercising or you're trying to get away from something. And in Mary's case, I think we can be very sure that this was the latter. And this should puzzle us for just a minute. Because in verse 38, we saw that Mary had this extraordinary profession of faith. She made a profession of faith that most of us in this room would struggle with. God says, you're going to give give birth uh, to a baby, even though you're not married, even though you've never known a man, and this baby's going to be the Messiah. And she simply said, okay. 
But then in verse 39, we see that she is literally running for the hills. The scripture says she moved with haste into the hills, into a, a town in Judah. And, and it seems that though, though she made this profession of faith, faith in, in verse 38, that in, in verse 39, she's making a move out of fear. And so that begs the question, was her faith not genuine? Was it not strong enough? And the answer to those questions is no. It's not that her faith wasn't genuine. It's not that it wasn't strong enough. In fact, if she hadn't believed what the angel had spoken to her, the last thing she would have been done was trying to get out of there. You know, if she doesn't think she's actually about to become pregnant, she would just hang out and be like, that was weird, um, you know? But what we're seeing is that Mary, Mary is experiencing great fear, not because something is wrong with her faith, but because she was a normal human being. And so if you're taking notes this morning, if there's anything I want you to, to take away, that the first point is this, that, that faith and fear are actually not, not opposites. I think we always treat them like that at times, right? Uh, we think that if we're full of faith, that we're never going to experience fear. And that if we're experiencing fear, it means that we might not be having faith. But that's just simply not true. Uh, quick illustration. How many of you guys have ever been on an airplane, right? I think a lot of us have. Me and my wife got on an airplane a couple weeks ago, celebrated our one-year anniversary. Whoop, whoop. Um, we went to Puerto Rico. You can cheer for that, too. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, I've been on a lot of airplanes. I've lost track of how many airplanes I've been on. And for some reason, I still love airplanes. Um, and so getting on an airplane means that I have a, just a certain degree of faith and trust, both in airlines and in pilots. And so I'm like, yep, sign me up. I pay the money. I get in this death trap and we take off. And it never fails, no matter how much I trust the pilot, no matter how much I've been on an airplane before. When that airplane starts going down to land, two things are happening. One is you're gripping the, the armrest, and the second is you're just wondering, what's that headline going to look like tomorrow when this plane goes down? And so even though we have a lot of faith in, in airlines and in pilots, there's still a degree of fear when we ride an airplane. Is that, is that true or is that just me? Um, and so I think, I think there's something for us in there is that, that we can hear the promises of God and we can submit to the will of God and still experience fear and anxiety. Faith is not the absence of fear and anxiety. Now, now God doesn't want us to stay in that place of fear and anxiety, and I'm going to unpack that for us here in a minute. But if we see anything at the beginning of our journey with Mary, it's this, that great faith can still be accompanied by fear. Great faith can still be accompanied by fear. Now, now for Mary, what was this fear? For her, it was a fear of shame. Mary was very aware of what it meant to be pregnant in her society and in her culture. Um, this wasn't a thing that was like kind of, they didn't have a framework for this in like ancient Middle Eastern cultures. You know, there was no like 16 and pregnant for, for the Middle East in those days. It was, it was a big deal to get pregnant out of wedlock. And this was, going, this was something that was going to bring immense shame and dishonor on both her and her family and on her fiance's family, which when we read the scriptures, it said Joseph, her fiance, was from a line of David, from the line of David, like King David, Old Testament, killed a giant King David. Like that's like, I don't know, being think of the most important person you can think of and, and you're related to that person, like that carries some weight. And suddenly a guy from that family's wife is pregnant. And so there's, there's a whole big messy situation. And so Mary knows that. And she knows that at best, and Johnny kind of hit on this last week, at best, she's going to get excommunicated from the family. She'll probably have to live a life of, of begging, having to fend for herself, trying to raise a kid from herself, not having the security and the support of a family or of a marriage. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that she could be stoned and killed, and that wouldn't necessarily be like unheard of in that context. 
And so while she trusts God wholeheartedly, she is still bound in a space and a time and a culture that doesn't understand this promise that God just gave her. So she does the, the only thing that she can think to do, and that is she moves with haste. She moves with haste. And I think, I think there's something for us, for us here as well. So we can, we can hear the promises of God and, and still feel fear. And if you're, if you're in here this morning or if you've experienced this where, where you feel like God has called you to trust him, but for some reason it's still just, just freaking you out and you don't have these steady legs that you thought people from the Bible have, like you think, man, I just read the scripture and people like hear from God and they do things like build arcs and they tear down pillars and, and they kill giants and like everybody else just seems so much stronger and so much more brave than me. Let me tell you this morning, if you actually look at scripture, you'll find that you are in good company when it comes to walking in both faith and fear. We need to look no further than Jesus in the garden the night before he's crucified in the garden of Gethsemane. It says that he's so nervous, he's sweating drops of blood. Uh, I used to get really nervous before football games, before track meets, before chess games, before uh, talking to my wife, um, and <laughs> before we were married, all right? Um, you know, I get a little bit of rumbly-tumbly, but, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sweating any blood, um, but here we have Jesus, and that's exactly what he's going through. And he simply says, Lord, your will be done. Uh, one of my favorite examples is the story of Gideon. Uh, Gideon happens in the book of Judges. And just to set, set the scene, Gideon was um, living in the time of Israel, and Israel was being oppressed by a foreign army called the Midianites. And God literally comes and he finds Gideon hiding in a ditch. And he says to Gideon, he says, Oh, mighty warrior, and Gideon doesn't believe him. And, and he tells Gideon, like, you're going to deliver my people Israel from the hand of this foreign army, the Midianites. And, and, and like, the Lord is literally like speaking to him, like I'm speaking to you right now. And, and Gideon doesn't believe. And so there's verses after verses where, where Gideon is testing the Lord. He tests the Lord multiple times and the Lord keeps affirming the test. Like, yes, you, yes, you, you're going to be the one to deliver them. I'm giving them into your hands. The Lord is literally speaking to him. And on the night before the final battle in Judges 7, I just want to read this to us real quick because I found this. Like, I knew Gideon was a fearful dude. Uh, but when I started planning the sermon, I was, like, really looking at it. And this part surprised me. The, the night before the final battle in, in uh, Judges 7, this starts in verse 9. The Lord literally is just talking to Gideon. Uh, and he says, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened. So the God says, like, look, I'm going to give them. I'm telling you for like the 50th time, you're going to win this battle. But if, if you're still afraid, and like just praise God that God like can handle his children being afraid. Um, he says, if you're still afraid, take Pura, your servant, with you. I don't know if Pura was like jacked and could just like comfort, comfort Gideon. Uh, but he says, look, if you're afraid, take him with you. And then what does... Uh, what does the, the next verse say in, in verse 11? It says, Then he, Gideon, where is that? Sorry. Um, then he, Gideon, went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost. So Gideon, even after hearing from the Lord a thousand times, was still afraid. 103 times the Bible says either fear not or do not be afraid. And, and the question is, why is that? I think the Lord is very just used to his children being afraid. Uh, one of my favorite stories, there's a book on our bookshelf. It's called At the Foot of the Snows. Uh, this is just a modern example to get us kind of like into how does this look in everyday life. 
At the Foot of the Snows is a book about uh, this guy named David Waters. Uh, and in the 1960s, he moved his family into a remote village in the country of Nepal. And so this was the 60s. Like the only way you could get there, you had to fly into like an airstrip that wasn't even an airport. You just landed the plane in a field. Uh, then you jumped on some donkeys and you walked for like a whole day into the mountains. And, and there was this village and he took his family and he just planted them there. No electricity, no running water. He was a Bible translator. And he just felt like the Lord had called them to work there and try to translate scripture for this people that had, had no Christian witness. Uh, a few years go by and like the book of Acts breaks out in this, in this village. It is absolutely crazy. Like when I'm reading this book, um, you know, we, he starts to see like demonic spirits be conquered in the name of Jesus. People who never heard of Jesus start having dreams about him. People start believing on Jesus. And then those believers start getting dragged off to jail and they're like getting dragged off to jail and they're just singing praises to God. And they're just making these praises up because they don't have like worship hymns or nothing. And, um, and then those people who are dragging them off, just like Paul in the book of Acts, they start believing on Jesus. And, and this amazing work happens. And sure enough, this, this church literally grows out of nowhere. Uh, and it's a like remote village in Nepal. And it's an entirely a work of God. Um, but I love it because if you go back to, you, you read all this in the book. And you go back to chapter one, the first night when David Waters and his family, the first night that they're staying in this village, and he talks about how he's seeing the sun go down on the horizon, and he realizes they're entirely alone. And he starts to hear the tribal priests of this village start to chant and call upon their gods. And he says, I start to feel the first seeds of doubt creep into my mind. And he says, you know, am I really called by God or am I just insane? Um, and so even this amazing, amazing episode of God just acting in this way, there was still room for great fear. There was still room for great fear. And this is the situation that, that we find Mary in. She's full of faith, but she's followed by fear. And so the question is, is that the posture that God intends her to stay in? And the answer, of course, is no. She starts this journey afraid, but God is going to reaffirm her call and her promise so that she doesn't stay there. And that's, that's the second point I want you guys to take away. The first one, right, we said that faith and fear are not opposites. But the second one is that fear is not the final destination of faith. Fear is not the final destination of faith. To see God, like I said, he cares for Mary on this journey. He understands the complexity of that situation. And so he's going to, to speak into her life and he's going to do it through, through two things. Uh, and I'm going to treat them as two separate things. In the scripture, we kind of see it as, as one entity, but he's going to speak to her through the Holy Spirit and through her relationship with Elizabeth, through the Holy Spirit and her relationship with Elizabeth. So remember, she's gone into this situation. She's, she's haunted by a culture that would say that everything that is happening to you, being pregnant out of wedlock and trying to claim that that is from God, like that's as shameful as it can get. Uh, people would literally be saying like, how dare you try to pin your immorality on a work of God? God would never have somebody get pregnant before wedlock. Like, what are you talking about? And yet, so she, she walks into Mary's house and that's what she's carrying. Let, yet, let's look at what Mary says to her back in, back in the chapter, in the book of Luke. It's going to pick up in uh, Luke 142, I believe. Yeah. And so... It said that Elizabeth was, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to see three proclamations from Elizabeth of, of blessedness on Mary. Listen to this. She says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
And so, so remember this context, right? Like she has every reason to believe that she should be ashamed among women, but Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. Why? Because what is happening to her is from God. When everybody else around her sees this child in her womb as an illegitimate child, she says, blessed is this child. Elizabeth says that, blessed is this child. Why? Because this child is from God. And when you look in verse 43, she even goes on to say that this isn't the Lord. This isn't just from God. Like this is literally the Lord that you're gonna give birth to. And when others would think that she is literally a lunatic for thinking that this would have been God's plan for her life, Elizabeth says, blessed are you for believing that there would be fulfillment for all the Lord has spoken to you. And this is just such a word for us here of what it means to walk in faith when it doesn't make sense to culture. Like God is going to call us to do things as his people and as a church that's gonna be directly against what culture would expect from us, whether it's how we live, how we give, what we prioritize, who we love, the things we do and don't take sides on. That's not often going to make sense to culture, but church, when you've got a word from the Lord, though all hell come against you, you must cling to it. And so while every circumstance and, and every person around Mary would simply be saying, be ashamed, be ashamed, be ashamed, Elizabeth simply says, blessed, blessed, blessed. And that sounds pretty good, right? I think a lot of us would like, you know, somebody just falls around and be like, you blessed, you're blessed, don't worry about it, you're blessed. Um, but how do we know and how does Mary know that she can trust Elizabeth? Because there's a lot of people that are willing to, to talk you up. I've met people like that. It's scary. Um, there's one person, I remember I talked to him and I, I just shared a bit of my story. And he said things to me. And I don't know, I just walked away from that conversation feeling so encouraged. And then I began to think about the conversation. I was like, I don't know that he actually said anything about Jesus. I don't know that he said anything about God or, or the word. And he was a Christian. Like he was trying to encourage me. And it just seemed like, and I started to examine it. And I, I, I went back and I, I kind of separated from my feelings and I tried to think about what he said. I was like, I really don't know where his advice came from. Like, I don't know if that was of the Lord. And so similarly here, like how can we be sure that Mary can trust what Elizabeth is saying? And the answer is because Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit is involved in this conversation. And we've already, and not only that, and this is the part that blew my mind when I began to, to really look at this story, but we've already seen how God has been faithful to Elizabeth. And so when Elizabeth is speaking into Mary's life, she's realizing that she's already had her own dealings with shame. There were two things that were shameful for women back in Mary's day. It was either to get pregnant before marriage or to get married, live your life, and never be able to have a baby. And that was the situation that Elizabeth had, had come from, to this, 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 this place of, of shame. And, and so when she's speaking, she realizes that God has already promised and delivered her. And so when she's speaking into Mary's life, she's speaking from her own experience of the goodness of God and his faithfulness. And this has a really, really profound uh, effect on Mary. And so, so what we've seen from the beginning to the end in this part is, is like I said, God not only called Mary, and, and Mary not only responded with a posture of faith, but he has cared for her in the process. And I think there's something very, very important that we understand about the character of God whenever we read this. Like I said, that God doesn't leave his children out to dry. He's not going to call you and then abandon you in the process. God, is, God cares about your whole journey. He cares about every step that you're going to take with him. I think that's important that we look at things like Psalm 23. I know we read this in funerals, but this is a psalm for the living, not just the dead. It says this, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Have you ever seen a shepherd let his sheep walk on their own? It doesn't go well for the sheep. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's walking with us. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He doesn't say, go find the path, go figure it out. Like I'll, you know, check the Bible and see how, no, he's like, he's leading us. He's going before us. It says, he prepares the table 
for us in the presence of our enemies. And he says, and he allows goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. You see, our God journeys with us. And I think that's so important because I think we're often uh, anticipating and we're often excited to hear the promises of God and, and those calls to faith. But it's when we start to think like, is, is God really going to go with me in this? Or is he going to leave me out to dry? Is he, is he going to hold up his end of the deal? Or is this just like a weird religious tryout that I have to go through? And the answer is, is no, he's, he's with us. And so as we're hearing the promises and the, and the calling of God, we can be assured when we look at his promises that he's going to keep them. Um, just some practical ways that this might look in our life this morning. If you're, maybe you've lost or you're, you're feeling God is calling you to leave a job. And, and I will say like, use a lot of discernment there. Like if you just hate your job, that doesn't mean that God's always calling you to leave it. Um, so I'm not, I'm, please don't walk away and be like, David told me to leave my job. Uh, talk to Justin first. He read the outline. Um, <laughs> thanks, Justin. Um, if he's calling you to leave a job or if you've lost your job, you have to look at Matthew 6 where it says he, cur- he cares for the birds of the air. Surely he'll care for us. Maybe he's, maybe he's calling you out of a relationship that's not towards him or honoring one or maybe you're just struggling with singleness. You can read Psalm 68, 6 where it says God places the lonely in families. Maybe you have to say no to the comforts of this life that are actually inwardly destroying you and you have to trust that God is going to be the source of your comfort. And that's not a promise that you can experience still clinging from these things. You have to start walking it out to see whether or not God has spoken the truth. Maybe it's the promise that if you give generously, God will still provide for you. Like he says in Malachi, when he calls people to tithe and said, the Lord will actually return it for, to, to you and the cup will run over. Maybe it's serving sacrificially with your time and your efforts. And you have to trust that, yes, even though you got kids and a job and you're tired, that the verse in Isaiah 40, 31 is going to be true, that we can trust in the Lord to renew our strength. And so when we start walking by faith, these promises don't just become like cool things on Pinterest or in little signs in our house. Uh, they become our life bread of saying, God, this better be true. You better come through. And God delights to prove himself faithful to his children. He delights to do this. And so what is our story? We just heard from Mary. She said yes to God and he's, he's come through and he's walked with her. And so once we've said yes to God and we line our lives with his stories, not ours, how do we start to live and wait under these promises? He gives us the same two tools that he gave Mary, the Holy Spirit and others, the Holy Spirit and others. The first one is hearing from the Holy Spirit and, and I'm kind of wrapping it up. And so these are the last two things I really want to get us. Like if you're, if you're hearing this, you say like, I think God is calling me to greater degrees of faith. How do I, how do I walk in this? The first one is you must hear from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must be involved in your faith walk. And the first thing that that's going to require is making room for the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to make room for the Holy Spirit, church, we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of different voices out there that are jockeying for our attention, and they're not His. And for me, I mean, just very practically, I've realized when I get up to pray in the morning, like I have to literally leave my phone like in a different room. I, I like have this little corner in our kitchen because we live in a shoebox and that's where I pray. And, and, and I can't like have my phone like on the counter by the microwave because like if that thing buzzes or even just as, as I'm praying, it's like a black hole. It just like sucks my thoughts in those directions. And so I got to put it in like another room so I can have room for the Holy Spirit. Because one thing I've learned, and this is just me speaking, I didn't see this in scripture, but just from my own experience, so take it with a grain of salt, but I think it's true, is that the Holy Spirit isn't going to beg for our attention like it's just another voice in the crowd, right? Where we're looking over, like Netflix is here, our social feed is here, our family is here, and like the Holy Spirit's in the back, like pick me over here, like I'm ready. 
And the Holy Spirit's like, no, the Holy Spirit will go inhabit an entirely different room. And he says, hey, when you're ready to stop with all this nonsense, you know where you'll find me. And so we have to carve out room and trust that there is a work that God wants to do in us when we hear from the Spirit. And it's hard work, church. It's hard work because everything around us is so loud, but it says that God speaks in a still small whisper, but he does speak. Um, I love the way that Romans 15, 13 puts this, and this is like the NIV translation, but it said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to complete this work of faith in our life. So we have to hear from the Holy Spirit. We have to carve out room for that. And the second one is we have to hear from godly people, just the way that Elizabeth was able to speak into Mary's life. We have to have people positioned in our life that are godly, that have actually walked with the Lord, that we could receive a word from them. Uh, a few few months ago, I just felt like the Lord called me to the, the, the Timothys, the first and second Timothy, and I was just like rereading them for some reason, like obsessively. And there was this verse that kept sticking out to me in 2 Timothy 2.22, and I think it's, it's just such a good word for us this morning. Uh, it says this, it says, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Our companions have to be those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's not Instagram preachers. There's a lot of good ones out there, but they don't know you and you don't know them. We can't just listen to people who are validating all the things that we already think are true. We can't listen to our echo chambers, our political platforms, our allies, the people who agree with us all the time. We have to surround ourselves with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Sure, people who call on the Lord from a pure heart, they might agree with you on some things. But if somebody doesn't agree with you, that also might still mean they're still calling on the Lord with a pure heart. So... Uh, that's a different sermon, but, but yeah, we have to surround ourselves with these people, people who have experienced God and call on him. And so just a quick practical checklist. If you're like trying to think, if you're in here this morning, you're like, okay, is, is this person, somebody who is that, is this person, or, you know, what does this person actually look like? Three things you can look for. One is they pray, like really pray, not just like, you know, okay, like let's bless the food real quick. Like somebody who just has a rhythm of prayer in their life. Uh, somebody who serves, which means that they're already aware that the, the story they're in is bigger than themselves. So somebody who serves, that's really important. And somebody who has a testimony, like when they talk, they can talk about the things of God as somebody who's walked with him, who's seen God provide for them. When I, when I just a quick story of what this has looked like in my life. When I was like 18, I began looking for a mentor. I realized I had come up in the church as a young man, but I had been discipled mostly by women. And I'm like, Lord, I just, I just need a man who's kind of walked this faith walk. And he, he put this guy named Tom Dobbs in my life. Uh, the best way to describe Tom is he's a, he's a big-bellied Baptist preacher, uh, and he, he pastors a church like in the middle of like a cornfield somewhere in, in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Um, and Tom, me and Tom became friends, and he began to mentor me, and he just began to speak into my life. And, and I began to see the way that he walked with the Lord, and I was just like, okay, like this guy's legit. Um, and when I was 23, I was about to move overseas. Uh, I moved to the Middle East for two years and just served. And it had been this long time coming that the Lord had led me into this process. And I remember a week before I was supposed to get on the airplane and leave, I woke up one morning in, in church. I was so afraid. I remember I woke up and I, I sat on the edge of my bed and I couldn't get up. I just stared. I just stared at my feet for like an hour. And finally, I just like pushed myself out of bed and I went about my day. And then a couple of days later, Tom calls me and he, he knows, you know, the, the decision that I was making and what I was about to do and him just like, he's like, hey man, like, how's, how's it going? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing good, brother Tom, you know, how are you? And he's one of those guys, like, he never takes your first answer for the answer. He's like, no, 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 really, like, like, how are you? How are you doing? And I said, Tom, man, like, I'm, I'm scared. I was like, I woke up the other morning and I just stared at my feet. And he goes, huh. He's like, that's so weird. He's like, I had a dream about you about two nights ago. 
And he says, and you told me just that. You said, I'm, I'm afraid and I can't look up. And he said, David, God, God wants you to look up. And I could hear him say that and I could believe it's 100% true. First of all, because he's Baptist and they don't talk about dreams that often. <laughs> and, and second of all, because like I had just seen the way that he walked and I remember that just, so I understood what Mary was going through when somebody says like, you know, that's speaking from the Lord, you can take it and it's going to result in confidence and praise. And so, and so, yeah, it's really important that we surround ourselves with people who are actually walking with the Lord. And, and so I guess, I mean, there's a question there. I'm not trying to pry into anybody's life. You don't have to come to me and be like, hey, I passed the test. But like, just think about the people who speak into your life more often. And like, what are they talking about? Are they talking about the Lord? Are they talking about the things that they're struggling with, the things that they're learning, the things that they're wondering? Because um, I think at the end of the day, church, it's not enough to just have good friends who don't party or drink too much. We have to have people who are walking with the Lord and then will walk with us and we will walk with them. And similarly, God might be calling you to be that person who can speak into other people's lives. And so the question we also have to ask is, is what are we talking about? Are we talking about the things that the Lord has done in our lives? And so in conclusion, Haroon, if you want to go ahead and come up, brother. Um, many of us are wanting to step into God's story. We're not wanting to step into our own. And, we, and I realize that there's, there's going to be a lot of human emotions in that step. You're going to feel the fear and you're going to feel the anxiety, but don't run from those don't disqualify yourself of like, I'm still fearful, so that means I'm not cut out for this journey. Instead, make room for the Holy Spirit. Allow God to start to minister you and then seek out the fellowship of those who walk with God. And if, if you don't know any, but you think you've seen somebody from afar and other people can verify, like, yeah, that, that guy walks with the Lord. Be weird. Go up to him and be like, hey, I need more people like you in my life. Like, let's just, uh, let's just talk. And if it's weird for you, we don't have to do it anymore, but like, let's just Let's just start this thing. Like, I just need to hear from somebody who I think actually knows Jesus. And trust me, that person, if they really are the one, like, they're going to be so honored by that and so excited to just be like, yeah, let's, let's share some thoughts. And so we're, we're going to pray. Like, a good way to just start this is there's going to be leaders in the back when we pray in a moment. And you feel like God is, is working on you in this faith journey. Like, go find one of these people that pray. They're, they're volunteering to pray for a reason. It's because they like to pray. And just be like, man, I need somebody who hears from the Lord to pray over me right now. And God has invited us into his story, church, and it's a beautiful process. And there's a whole bunch of messiness involved, but it requires walking and faith. But he's with us. He's with us. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, who are we to be in this story that you're weaving, that you've called us out of darkness and into light? God, but we get so hung up, God, in our feelings and in our fears and our anxieties, Lord. Would you help us to trust you with those things, Father? Would you help us to lay them at your feet, Lord, and that even though our voice shakes and even though our knees tremble, that we would just start walking, Lord. God, I pray for those in this audience, God, that are, that are contemplating taking a step of faith and trusting you, whether it's in the first time with their lives, Lord, that they would, they would have the courage to walk, even though they don't know where following Jesus will lead them, Lord. I pray for those who are struggling, God, that you would, God, that you would put it on their heart to seek out and to pray and ask you for people in their lives that can speak into them. God, I pray for every single one of us, Lord, that we would live in a countercultural way that invites your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives and that we say no to, to all the other voices. So, Lord, have your way. Lord, do whatever you want to do in us, Father. But we thank you that you have invited us. And we thank you for the promise that we don't walk it alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.